You never know what people get up to at Thanksgiving. It's just a bummer. That's exactly the attitude I take when it comes to my drinking problem. I've been here for 10 years and that still makes no sense. Welcome to the Palm Court. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. Let's go shopping! <laughs> uh, so a note. Yeah. A technical note. That's right. Uh, over the weekend, we cleaned <laughs> our apartment. Right. Which, why do you care? You uh, might ask yourself. Yeah, why do you care? Uh, one thing that I cleaned was our mixing board mm-hmm. that we record this very podcast on. That is, in fact, recording this literally as we speak. That's right. Uh, so I cleaned that, and I moved all the levels around, and then we sat down to do this, and Tom was like... Uh, what did you do, you monster? <laughs> well, Kelly was under the impression that I had any idea what any of these knobs or levels do. Well, you're so smart. <laughs> right, I am. But uh, the fact is, I don't. <laughs> I have no idea at all. Yeah, so hopefully this sounds uh, normal. Yeah. Boy, this right after we bragged on our production value. No, last it's week. true. But, uh, Pride goeth before a fall. <laughs> yeah, but I think we'll be all right because honestly, most of the magic is done by software after we record. So. Just like everything else. That's right. God help us when the apocalypse happens. Uh, well, fortunately, we'll all be dead. That's well, fifty-one percent of us at least. <laughs> right. If it's less than that, it's not an apocalypse. I know. It's just a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> All right, so we'll kick things off then here today. That's right. With a uh, Ellen Love letter. As is traditional. As is traditional. Customer Tori writes, So I found your Downton podcast a few months back, and I have listened to all of that, your Mr. Selfridge ones, in addition to watching Mr. Selfridge to do so. And some of your other ones, though, I'm still making my way through the extra materials. And although I started listening to you for Downton, it's Mr. Selfridge that is going to get me to send you a comment. I have a couple things that I've been turning over in my mind, trying to make sense of, and I thought I would share my theories with you. At the start of season three, the fate of those two really confused me, and I do wish we'd gotten a little more confirmation on how that state of things came about. But my theory is that they were engaged when Florian died, him probably having moved out of Martle House sometime earlier. We know they weren't married, as she still miss Martle, but she can discuss their relationship openly and was given a leave of absence while in mourning for him, so they must have had some form of recognized relationship rather than just a secret love affair while living in the same house. Two, the store deputy. When Harry made Henri the store deputy in season two, it always felt like the kind of job Harry handed out to get his friend in senior management. He really always wanted Henri to be the creative director and did offer him that job first, but when turned down, he upped it to store deputy. So while Henri's technical title at the time was a made-up one, his functional job was to be co-head of the creative department with Agnes with an option on doing other things if Harry wanted him to. He rarely did, which was good, since Henri had little spare time between the sketchy dealings and flirting. Oh my god, remember the sketchy dealings? Yeah. Good lord. That was, they were pretty sketchy. And after the war, in the brief time Henri was back, he definitely seems to have been only working with the creative department with the added authority to call himself store deputy, but no additional duties. It does not seem the position of store deputy was ever held by anyone else during the war while Henri was away, so it probably wasn't a terribly important position. The most likely explanation is that Harry wanted Gordon to learn about being higher in the chain of command, so he thought the store deputy position was a good way to do so. Then when Gordon said he didn't want it, Harry was left with people competing for a position he didn't really need filled. Then when Gordon changed his mind again, Harry ended up not going through any false show of fairness and just gave it to Gordon. 
Three, wandering characters. You said last episode that the Leclercs were gone for good. Did you mean really gone for good or gone for this season? Because I always kind of figured they were gone for most, if not all of this season. But I have a fantasy about Lady May strolling back in next season with the Leclercs in tow and taking London by storm. For now, I'm content imagining that she's roped them into helping occasionally with some big events in Paris where Henri keeps to the background sketching while Agnes actually runs the show, occasionally getting upset whenever Lady May stars eye-fucking her husband. (laughs) Tory. Yes. It's uh, a very unelaborate sign-off. She does <laughs> add, P.S. Obviously, I'm really enjoying all the podcasts from you two that I've listened to. Keep up the good work and avoid any stick-poking kits. <laughs> uh, yeah, so these are all interesting thoughts. I think the Miss Martle and Florian one is pretty plausible. Although I feel like he would have stayed living in her house. She lets George Towler stay there. Yeah, that's true. She's clearly decided that that's fine in general. I mean, I think, I think their relationship, you know, was clearly recognized. It wasn't a secret. I mean, Mr. Selfridge can op- open expense accounts for his various floozies. I think Miss Martle can take Florian out in public occasionally. Well. He at least knows how to behave himself. That's right. Because as we all know, the men on Selfridge don't have a double standard about these things. Yes, that's true. <laughs> well, no, Mr. Grove said it was fine and he's the biggest double standardy guy of them all. Yeah, that's true. Store deputy, I mean, I think, I I think to, I think like sort of yes, but also sort of no. Okay. Like, yes, it was a made up position, but I think Harry's show of fairness was in like opening it up to everybody. You know, I look, it was a piece of bad management all around. It was. On his part. Yeah. Like if you're going to, if you've precast the role and you're going to do a fake job search, you should make sure that the person you've precast is like down with that. Yeah. Agreed. Like when I wanted to have a Mr. Selfridge podcast before I just announced <laughs> that we were doing it, I was like, hey, Tom, what if we did this Mr. Selfridge podcast? And I was like, thumbs up. Yeah. And then as far as the Leclairs, they are gone. Yeah. They're done. Yeah. They're donezo. They're right. out of here forever. Which is sad. Yeah. But Catherine Kelly, who plays Lady May, is confirmed as coming back for series four. Yeah. And that's, so, uh, yeah. that's, she had said that she was planning on it, but it's been recently officially confirmed yes. as in the last few that's days. That's welcome news. Yeah. I also want to give a brief shout out to cousin Amanda, who I believe is Viscountess of Greenbank. Mm-hmm. I think I got that right. Okay. I'm not looking at it. Uh, I incorrectly identified Jimmy Kent on wolf hall is harry percy when in fact he plays somebody else (laughs) (laughs) so uh maybe check with cousin amanda on that hang on i am looking it up (laughs) god just because i can't remember anything Speaking of not remembering things, Cousin Laura also sent us... I'm sorry, Customer Laura. Right. This is confusing. It is confusing. At any rate, you all know, and we all know, (laughs) and we're all going to get through this. We just Uh, wanted a new logo. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted the Piven. Um, But she sent us an itemized cast list of everybody on Mr. Selfridge with just like hilarious like identifiers for Mm -hmm. each person, which was really awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so Harry Percy was played by Harry Lloyd, who was Viserys Targaryen oh, on Game of Thrones. I missed that. And Ed Spielers, who plays Jimmy Kent, also played Jane Seymour's brother, uh, who does not have a name in this email, so I don't feel bad at all. I'm trying to remember. I read that book. I feel like it was William, but just because I feel like they were all named William. Oh, these are all... Hey, 
Uh, oh, Edward Seymour. <laughs> oh, I was wrong. That's his name. Uh, no, and then, you know, Nurse Jenny Lee from uh, mm-hmm. Call the Midwife plays uh, Lady Jane Bolin, Viscountess Rockford. <laughs> uh, Claire Foy, who was Persephone from Upstairs, Downstairs, is Anne Bolin right. on Wolf Hall. Bernard Hill, who's King Theoden from Lord of the Rings, is the Duke of Norfolk. Did you notice that? I did not. Is Theoden the one that gets all chia-petted? Uh, well, he, he's like, in reverse. Chi- yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's like a chia pet that didn't work. Yeah. Uh, Ed Spieler's Edward Seymour. David Robb, Dr. Clarkson is Thomas Bolin. Did we? We did catch that. Yeah. We're always on the lookout for Dr. <laughs> Clarkson. And then, uh, Alistair McKenzie, Archie, Monarch of the Glen, William Brereton. I have no fucking clue. Well, Monarch of the Glen is a show. Oh, which I've never watched. Okay, right. that explains. That explains. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's okay that you corrected us, Cousin Amanda. We live to be corrected. That's right. We would prefer to be accurate than anything else. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're accurate. We're all set. That's We've right. talked about Mr. Selfridge. Uh, talked about the possible technical difficulties. <laughs> So uh, let's let's talk about Mr. Selfridge let's some more. Let's do. Okay. So Harry enters Selfridge's and Mustache is there waiting for him. What the hell is that loafer doing there? <laughs> right? That shiftless unemployed loafer. Uh, he is reading the paper and the paper announces that the Treaty of Versailles has been signed. Mustache says that the streets were full last night like they were back when the armistice was signed. And Harry says that this one is better because it's a beginning, not an end. And Selfridges will celebrate along with the nation. And I appreciate this scene because nobody is anachronistically warning that Germany is being treated too harshly by the Treaty of Versailles and that there's trouble a-brewing. Well, not all of us have the clairvoyant powers of the astounding Lord <laughs> Grantham. <laughs> You'd think he'd use his clairvoyance to occasionally not lose his family's fortune. <laughs> Look, there's one thing I know. Railroads always make money. <laughs> and we treated Germany too harshly. Uh, Harry says that they need something to capture the mood of the nation, and as they get on the elevator, he says to Mustache, Tell me, head of print and public relations, what does the peace treaty mean for the man in the street? Aha! Unemployed no more! That's right. Uh, Which is actually, wasn't that his original job? He never worked for Selfridges. He was an editor at some paper. Okay. I think. Yeah, I just felt like he was like Harry's point man press-wise. He was, but only in his capacity as an expert. I okay. think he was officially hired by the store. Fair enough. They were just friends until he wrote that play. Right. Which, like, hey guys, if you want to stay friends with somebody, don't write a libelous play about them. Yeah, because then you won't be friends for, like, about five years and then yeah. you'll be fine. Well, luckily, one of you is, like, a weirdo who may or may not be an alcoholic who can't ever remember to stay mad at people he should stay mad at. Yeah, that's actually a problem. Yeah, no Scorpio, Mr. Selfridge. No. That's why, see... Scorpio, listen guys. Except isn't Jeremy Piven a Scorpio? He looks like one. He does. But he's not playing one. Well, yeah. I don't think. I don't think so either. Um, no, but as I said the other day, uh, not only will Scorpios uh, hold a grudge, they will hold your grudge for you, <laughs> as I did recently when my friend was like, oh, I'm fine with this guy who tried to sexually assault me. And I was like, no, you're not. <laughs> don't say that. Yeah. You had anyway, a deal. Um, take it from us. Customers, it's important to stay mad at people <laughs> who deserve your ire. Take it from Kelly. Oh, not you. Do you not agree? Well, I just don't have the same belief in the purifying fire of grudges that you do. <sighs> That's why you're so unhappy. <laughs> Maybe so. I'll look into it. In any case, 
What Mustache thinks the treaty means is the first proper holiday for five years. Harry loves that idea. So they walk through the upstairs hall, and they're talking about things like trips to the seaside and picnics in the park. And then Mustache chimes in with cricket and cream teas. And Harry's like, I've been here for ten years, and that still makes no sense. (laughs) (gasps) Mustache suggests the slogan, Britain on holiday, but Harry changes it to Britain at play and tells him to brief the heads of departments, and he wants plenty of press and advertising. That's, you know, Mustache's whole job, Mm -hmm. so sure. They greet Plunkett and head into Harry's office. Mustache asks how much he should spend. Harry says, whatever it takes, they need all eyes on Selfridges. Mustache says that he will pass that message along to Crab, and Harry says to make sure that Crab is sitting down. Like, Harry really does need to look out for the bottom line at some point, right? (laughs) Right. Like, I, I don't know. I've never been the head of anything. I think basically Harry's strategy is just do whatever whatever doesn't cause Mr. Crab to resign. <laughs> like if Mr. Crab ever comes in with a letter of resignation, he'll be like, all right, I'll dial it back. Yeah. At Martle House, George shows Shame Baby how to eat a soft-boiled egg by cutting its head off. Uh, Shame Baby cries at hearing such graphic imagery. <laughs> no, that's what he is. It's like, you knock it on here and then slice his head off. Uh, what a great celebration of the Treaty of Versailles. <laughs> Miss Martle asks if George minds looking after him. George says no, he doesn't have a job, and he and Shame Baby are getting along like a house on fire. <laughs> which is uh, an odd expression when you think about it. It is. Miss Martle says she's grateful. George asks how Mr. Grove is. Miss Martle says that she hasn't seen him. George says that he must be missing his family, and it's hard that kids always get shipped off to aunties. He suggests that he take Shame Baby over to Grove to cheer them both up, and Miss Martle asks George to step into the hall for a word. And then there is a, like, maid person there. Yeah. Or I, I'm like, what is your deal? She's a, I a thought servant. maybe I thought maybe she was a governess when she came in, but I guess oh, George yeah. is the governess. No, I think I think Martel's had a servant all along. I mean, that would make sense. She's filthy rich, right? I mean, she's got a full time job. She's not cleaning that house. No, she's certainly not. In Grove's office, Crab knocks and enters, and Grove is there staring into space, too distracted even to say, "Come." What has be? come of us <laughs> yeah and actually kelly pointed out when we were watching it that the uh files are piling up yeah a the bit. files are piling up again yeah which means we might be in for another get it done montage <laughs> look out crab asks how grove is and he says well enough and then crab puts a toy on his desk uh it's a little wind-up car that he says he bought for his godson uh and he says it goes at quite a speed if you wind it right up grove thanks him and crab asks after the children grove says that that the girls are with their grandmother in Essex and the sons, one of whom is named Arthur, presumably after Arthur Crab, uh, are in Bristol with their aunt. Crab asks if Shame Baby is still with Martle, and Grove reluctantly nods. Crab says that Mrs. Crab has knitted him a cardigan with a matching hat, which he pulls out. And it is the cutest fucking thing you've ever seen. It is. Uh, but Grove is not won over because he has a heart of stone. Because, come on, is Mr. Crab holding a cardigan with a matching hat? I know. <laughs> I would give anyone anything they wanted in that moment. <laughs> right. But Crab just says he will give the cardigan and matching hat to Martle, and he leaves. And Grove looks at the toy car. Somebody 
pointed out, and I guess it wasn't in the email that I read, mm-hmm. that uh, prior to the war, Mr. Grove had three girls and one boy, and now he has two boys and two girls, not including Shane Baby. Huh. Well, because remember, that was the big deal right. with the last pregnancy. Yeah. So, way to, way to retcon that, yeah. jerks. That's, like, why even, that doesn't even make any sense that, like... I don't. I don't know. You're just hiring some kids for ten minutes of screen time on the season. I have no idea what to tell you, Tom. They just. They. They were just fresh. I out don't of, have a keen insight <laughs> into the mind of eyeliner. They were fresh out of gingers. <laughs> well, can you take a boy? <laughs> all the ch- all the all the girl child gingers are off trying to get on Game of Thrones. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I want to play young Melisandre. <laughs> Why am I on fire? On the shop floor, New New Gordon announces that they want to hear ideas for Britain at play. Mustache calls on Kitty, who suggests portable beauty and cosmetics. New New Gordon calls on Fake Doris, who says they have lots of new hats and <laughs> says they're getting smaller. Mustache asks if heads are shrinking, which, Mustache, don't quit your day job. <laughs> right. Fake Doris says the hats are more practical for motoring and golf. Kitty suggests a cocktail party and a day out at the beach. Fake Doris lamely says they have sun hats. <laughs> Nunu Gordon asks to have a look, but while Fake Doris gets them, Kitty pulls Mustache away to pitch him on a theme display, and Nunu Gordon says he'll be back in a minute. Yeah, but he won't. He's off with his wife. Martel supervises Connie dressing a mannequin, and then Crab calls her over and asks if she's spoken to Grove, and she hasn't. Crab shows Martel the cardigan and says, Mrs. Crab is in a knitting frenzy. That must be how she processes the trauma of her friends and loved ones. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and that Shane Baby will have plenty of woolens for winter, uh, wherever he may be by then. Mr. Crab for president. <laughs> In the kissin' storeroom, fake Doris complains about not being able to get a word in, standing there like a lemon. <laughs> which I guess is a Welsh saying? Right? Uh, which, yeah, bizarre. Anyway, Noonan Gordon says if she makes an appointment with Mustache, she can talk without Queen Kitty being there. <laughs> fake Doris says Kitty would have his guts for garters if she heard that, uh, but she wouldn't because she's Mr. Selfridge's son. Yes. And by she, I mean... <laughs> yes. You take my meaning. Yeah. I'm sure that Kitty would have her revenge in some fashion. Oh, yeah. And Grove's already got it out for Nunu Gordon. So yeah, one thing true. could lead to another. Nunu Gordon laughs and then climbs up onto the stepladder fake Doris is on and kisses her. He's gotten slightly better at kissing, but he's still terrible. Oh, yeah. I mean, that mustache does not make him look at all appealing. No. Mr. Crab walks in and is shocked. <laughs> and Mr. Crab's shocked face is fantastic. Yeah. Nunu Gordon says he was just helping fake Doris. Mr. Crab says, I wanted some wool. I'll come back later. <laughs> Presumably for Mrs. Crab's knitting frenzy. Right. Uh, Mr. Crab walks out and fake Doris face palms. Yeah. At Plunkett's desk, the homely architect asks if Harry is available. The Plunkett announces her to Harry and then weighs her in. Harry says that he wasn't expecting her, but the homely architect says that she has received a letter from the housing department that says that they will release the funding as soon as they get a full budget for the project. Harry says that that's great, but the homely architect seems subdued. She says it means she will be very busy, and they sit down at uh, Harry's table that he hasn't there. She says that she's been thinking, and she wants to take a step back. She says their relationship was supposed to be purely professional, but they've been spending so much time together, she feels like she's lost perspective. 
Harry says that he wasn't expecting this either, but that doesn't make it wrong. Homely I wish you would just be like, well, the fact that I'm not a real architect and in <laughs> fact a con artist uh, make it wrong. <laughs> Harry would probably be like, well, it's unconventional, but no! <laughs> it wasn't wrong when I dated that coked up actress. <laughs> and by that, I mean those. <laughs> I wonder what happened to Ellen Love. I know, right? She wasn't a real person, was she? I don't think so. I don't think almost anybody is a real person. Like, I mean, I think they're main, mainly composite characters. Right, I think apart from the Selfridges themselves. I mean, again, we don't want to do too much research because we're trying to stay unspoiled on the historical events. <laughs> right. Anyway, the homely architect says that she needs to focus on her work. Harry says that if she needs help or time, but the homely architect says that what she needs is to stop thinking about Harry. There's a pause, and Harry says, take a step back. Homely Architect says, just until the job's done. Harry says that he didn't realize he was such a distraction, but if this is what she wants... She's just tired of Harry, (laughs) and Harry's tired of... Well, not the second part there. That's true. Yeah, Harry's never tired of anything. I know. So the Homely Architect thanks him and gets up to leave... Harry says that since the funds will be arriving shortly, the Homely Architect should secure services. Homely Architect says that will cost, and Harry says they can't wait. Will a thousand do it? Homely Architect is like, uh, yeah. And so Harry writes her a check then and there. She thanks him and walks out, and Harry is bummed. Yes! <laughs> that we don't think it's Duke's band anymore. Well, right. I can't imagine why Duke's band would stick around after that last hullabaloo. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they, you know, like they Although went right... Although it is the only nightclub in London, so... <laughs> well, yeah. Haircut is mingling and sees some men walk in who say Regan sent them. She asks them to hold on and goes to Fat Thomas at the bar. Fat Thomas beckons the men to follow him and then takes them to the club room. He walks back into the bar into haircut. She asks if everything is all right. And he says yes, though he didn't seem to think so when he was alone in the hall. Yeah. Not easy running a club. At Selfridge House, Sibby is there. Nuno Gordon says, so you're a pilot, Mr. Sabor. But Wizwaz corrects him to Vicomte de Sabor. Uh, but Sibby says to just call him Jack because he's a good old fashioned French aristocrat. <laughs> Uh, he says he was Should a pilot. be Jacques? <laughs> or at least Jacques. Well, it's uh, apparently Jack. He says he was a pilot during the war, and Rosalie adds that he was decorated by both the French and the English. Uh, no mean feat, because those guys hate each other <laughs> under, norm- um, under normal circumstances. Yeah. Harry says that he'll be working with Sergei, and Sergei explains that Sibby will be making a series of flights while Sergei drums up press and investors, after which they will set up commercial flights on the same routes. Harry asks about Sergei's plane, and Sergei says, well, maybe one day, but he has others to think of, referring to the baby that Rosalie is gestating. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And he needs to keep his feet on the ground, and everybody laughs the way you do when somebody says something that isn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but that was really funny when you said that, (laughs) about gestating. No, no, no. Okay, I just didn't think I wasn't laughing at your joke. No, that's not what I thought. I definitely was laughing at it. I specifically remembered that awkward laughter at the dinner table from the episode. Yeah. Sibby notices Violette brooding and asks if she's flown on a plane. She says yes, and it's like a different world above the clouds. Everything seems so far away. And Sibby seems intrigued. Jazz! Fight! (laughs) The two men from before burst out of the back room, punching each other. Chairs are swung. Tables are knocked over. Fat Thomas tries to jump in and wrestle them apart, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you're fat, not strong. (laughs) 
He gets elbowed in the face, but gets back up and shoves them towards the door, telling them to get out, and his it's his club. The uglier of the two says that it's Regan's place, and not to forget that. Which I can't think that Regan is super into people having brawls. Right. I can't think that either. And and also, and then they head out, and one of them does a little, like, intimidating, like, ooh, thing on his way out. And it's like, weren't you fighting with that other guy that you're now apparently leaving with as a buddy? <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, Haircut goes up to Fat Thomas and tells him that he's bleeding. Fat Thomas says to get the band playing again. Haircut signals to Joe, so definitely not Duke. Right. And tells somebody to clean everything up, emphasizing no glass. Yeah. It's- meaning the glass that is broken everywhere. Right. They should not have that no more. <laughs> yes, because Haircut knows how to run things. I, yeah, who's been their replacement George Towler? Although, honestly, I don't think that he did anything. Yeah, I don't think so either. Well, and I also would like to say, next time you're interviewing for a band, start off by saying, hey, when there's a fight, keep playing. Yeah. Yeah, most bands nowadays will. Yeah. I think. I mean, I know the Rolling Stones did when those people got killed. May not be the best example, although points for <laughs> choosing a British band. Oh, yeah. In Fat Thomas's office, Fat Thomas looks at the damage to his fat face as Haircut walks in. <laughs> He's not even fat. I know. Fat Thomas says that he thought he could keep Regan's room and his club separate, but this lot that's coming around will cause trouble regardless. Haircut says that Regan needs to sort it out and Fat Thomas has to tell him. Fat Thomas laughs skeptically. Haircut says that when she first met Fat Thomas, he had a dream of being his own boss, so what is he doing now? She says that he has been too busy swanning around with Violet Selfridge, and Fat Thomas says, don't, uh, because it's over now. Haircut says that if Regan wants gambling, fine. She has worked at casinos, and Fat Thomas would not believe the money that changes hands there if you get the right crowd in. She says that Regan can't get that crowd, but Fat Thomas can if he wants to. She walks out, and Fat Thomas is intrigued. Haircut, man. Yeah. Haircut's amazing. Fat Thomas, you better haircut that down. (laughs) That's right. No, we've been counting on her this whole season, and it's paying off. Yep, it's exciting. At Selfridge House, Harry's reading the paper at breakfast as Ma walks in and says, good morning. (laughs) He says that dinner went well. Ma thought that the homely architect might have been there since they've grown so close. Harry says they've called things to a halt while they work on the estate. Ma says that might be prudent. Harry says that it came out of the blue. Ma asks if her family knows about them, but Harry says she only has a brother whom he hasn't met because they're pretty much always working. That's not suspicious. (laughs) Right. Ma says that's not true unless they have a lot of overnight meetings. Wink, wink. Uh, she says if the homely architect wants to do her job without distraction, good for her. The estate will be finished soon enough, and then they'll have all the time in the world. Uh, which is probably what Harry thought about Rose. Well. I don't I always feel like Ma gives good advice. I'm sorry. She gives bad advice, and good advice is clothing. Like, it always yeah. sounds no. good, but then when you, like, scratch the surface a little bit, you're like, you're bonkers, lady. <laughs> yeah. And she, yeah. And she's, again, was just like, oh, that princess is a complete fraud, eh? Well, guess there's nothing to do but invite the fraud into our homes forever. Get your shit together, Ma. Yeah. Also, man, Harry, like, that's how you know somebody's a sex addict when they carry on a series of affairs while living with their mother as an adult. Like, good lord. I mean, it must have happened a lot back in the day. Oh, yeah. You know, people have been having affairs as long as that was a thing. Yeah, that's a good point. As soon as people figured out that you could commit yourself to one person, they were like, wait a minute, why did we think this was a good idea again? The caveman version of cheaters. (laughs) Right. They're like... 
but what if somebody else is pretty? Huh? Yeah, yeah. See? You don't have an answer for that, do you? They're like, no, Grog does not. <laughs> Poor Grog. <laughs> anyway, uh, ew. <laughs> yeah. In fashion, Connie and Martel are going through some inventory, and the mention of tennis dresses reminds Connie of something. She shows Martel a picture she's found of Suzanne, Leg- Suzanne Langlin, Wimbledon champion. Martel says, goodness, that's a short skirt with hardly any sleeves. Uh, so I looked her up, and this would have been Suzanne Langlin's first of five consecutive Wimbledon championships. Uh, and she didn't indeed shock the British, not just with her short dress, which was just above calf length. Uh, but with the fact that she would drink brandy between sets. Woohoo! Yeah. Uh, she was the first major, major female tennis player to go pro and was just insanely dominant. Her career record was 341 and 7. So she was like the Serena Williams of her day, but like more so. Yeah, she was. Uh, one of those losses was in the U.S. Championships, the precursor to the U.S. Open, which she hadn't actually entered. She came over to do some exhibition matches and got off the boat to find that the organizers had entered her into the U.S. Championships without telling her. Uh, and so she was pressured into playing it, but she had to withdraw from her match. It was against Amala Mallory because she had what later turned out to be whooping cough uh, and was severely criticized for withdrawing by the American press. So she then met Mallory again in the next Wimbledon final and beat her 6-2, 6 love in a total time of 26 minutes. Wow. Uh, which is believed to be the fastest championship of all time. She then beat her later that year, 6-love, six 6-love, six and is quoted as saying that each time she would meet Mallory at the net after beating her, she would cough. <laughs> I like her. Yeah. So she See, was- she understands the importance of holding a grudge, mm-hmm. and Mala Mallory wasn't even the one that did it to her. Yeah. So, uh, yes. Connie says that she likes the silhouette of Langland's dress and says that it's almost Coco Chanel. And Martel is impressed that Connie has been doing her research. Yeah, that's pretty obvious, but <laughs> all right. I don't know how obvious it was at the time. Yeah, that's hard to say. Because I feel like Chanel, like, it took a few more years before Coco's prominence, I felt like. Yeah. But I, that is a very unbound, un- unfounded statement i'm pretty sure we talked about coco chanel at some point yeah i mean she didn't really take off till after world war ii oh okay i mean like in that way okay but she was a fascist right yeah okay anyway but she stuck around for forever okay i mean chanel is still a thing oh yeah so definitely Connie finds an aviator cap and puts it on for a laugh, but the fun's over because Grove has arrived and says they're opening shortly, adding, this was like a church sale. Get it tidied up. Uh, which is rude. Yeah. He walks off and Miss Myrtle asks Connie to excuse her and follows Grove to the elevator and says she needs to talk. She says Shane Baby has been there for three weeks and he can't stay forever. He's just a year old. Grove says this isn't the time or the place. The elevator girl has totally been eavesdropping. Yeah. Uh, Grove gets off the elevator and walks down the hall, but Martel shouts after him. Then when are we to discuss this, Mr. Grove? Crab and Plunkett look up in shock. Mr. Grove grudgingly opens the door to his office and they walk in. Miss Martel says she knows Mr. Grove is angry with her, but Shane Baby deserves better. She says if Grove is going to keep ignoring him, she'll have to reach out to Billy. Grove says, never mention his name in my presence. You know how ridiculous I find grown men named Billy. <laughs> Martel says Grove isn't himself. He's just lost his wife. I think he's actually the most himself. Yeah, he's very himself. Grove says he lost his wife when she cheated on him, and his life since then has been a lie in which Martel has been complicit. 
can we just back up here for a half second? Yeah. And recall what their relationship was prior to all of this. He was cheating on his wife with Miss Martle. For a long time. For years. Yeah. And it's like, uh, dude. And quite frankly, there, you know, he's morally been cheating on Martle with Doris Classic this whole time. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. No, and it's just, it's insane. Yeah. It's absurd. Yeah. At any rate, Miss And I'm Mar- kind of surprised Martle doesn't point that out at any point. She never goes to bat for herself. Yeah. She never ever does. Yeah. Miss Martle says that Shame Baby can't be handed around like lost luggage. Grove says that he counted her a friend, opens the door and asks her to leave. Miss Martle nods and leaves. But like, the issue, the issue isn't your relationship with Martle, dude. The issue is with this baby. Yeah. Nunu Gordon, Sergey, Rosalie, and Sibby walk into the shop floor. Nunu Gordon calls over Gary Oldman and introduces Sibby, and they talk to each other in French. Uh, they say, always a pleasure. Sergey says, so, you're the chap doing our aviation display. Gor- <laughs> Gary Oldman looks at Nunu Gordon and says, am I? Uh- Nunu Gordon's like, yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. Uh, perhaps something in fashion? Sibby says that he would like to look around Selfridges with a Selfridge. Nunu Gordon says he's busy, but Sibby obviously meant Rosalie, who says, my pleasure. Sergey pulls Nunu Gordon and Gary Oldman aside, and Nunu Gordon explains that they're raffling off a flight with Sibby, so they're going to need a display. Gary Oldman says, in fashion. And what has an aeroplane to do with fashion? The elevator arrives, and Crab gets off and greets Nunu Gordon rather awkwardly. Uh, and then says that when he has a moment, there is something he would like to discuss. I bet he would. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with wool. <laughs> Sibby tells Rosalie that it's a shame Violette couldn't join them. Rosalie says she's usually very lively. Sibby says that Wizwaz told him that she had been in trouble. Rosalie says that she'd been going out to a club. Lots of girls do. Sibby says she was arrested, and Rosalie says they arrested everybody. She says Violette wouldn't have been there, but she was seeing someone and adds that it's over now, and Sibby smiles at that revelation, Mm -hmm. and that Wizwaz shouldn't be gossiping. Sibby says that these are the missteps of youth, a storm that will blow itself out. I am very pro-Sibby. Uh-huh. I'm kind of anti-Sibby and Violette because I kind of feel like he's too good for her. Right. But, you know, Violette's got spirit like something. I yeah. don't know. Well, and I know that we have talked about her before on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And she does eventually become a Viscountess. Yeah. So I'm guessing this is the dude. Yeah. That that seems quite plausible. And I, I will say, too, uh, look at Rosalie going to bat for her sister here. Oh, yeah, which is great. No yeah. slut-shaming whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Well, and even because we know they fought about it. Yeah. They delayed a whole dinner. Mm-hmm. Oh, they sure did. <laughs> In Crab's office, Crab tells Grove that they're giving away a hundred hampers. Grove looks at the full-page ad and says it will certainly get attention, but Crab asks if it will boost profits. He says the budget for this event is high, even for the chief, which I just know. We don't often note the fact, but they call him the chief all the time. That's true. Yeah. He says it's all very well getting people in to admire the show, but the more Selfridges spends, the more the customers have to spend. Grove smiles and starts to leave, since they both know Crab just needed to blow off some steam about this. But Crab says before he goes, Mrs. Crab asked him, Mr. Crab, to pass some papers on to Grove. Uh, and they are magazines with listings of mature, educated women happy to provide care of children. Uh, and, you know, postmenopausal doing it, presumably. <laughs> Upon request. He says that for a man in Grove's situation, they could act in loco parentis. 
and that it must be very hard for him and the children being away from each other. Um, I mean, this is good of Mr. Crab sure. to do, but also has Mr. Grove never heard of a governess? <laughs> I find this very hard to believe. Yeah. Uh, regardless of what he's heard, Grove says that he doesn't wish his personal life to be discussed and his domestic arrangements need not concern Mrs. Crab any further. And he walks out as Crab says that it was just a thought. At Lizard Club, Loxley reads the Selfridge ad as some men walk in. He greets them and they all sit as Loxley asks if they've seen the ad campaign. They say it's a patriotic gesture. <laughs> Loxley says it promises to be the usual Selfridge spectacle, and perhaps as major shareholders, perhaps they should pay a visit, lend support, and look at things from a business perspective. They say it's a good idea and look like twats. Also, has no one on the board been doing this? Apparently not. Because that might explain a few things. Right. They're like, oh, we were just planning on drinking port in this club until we die, but (laughs) I suppose we could look after our investments. (laughs) Connie struts up to Martel House, not for any special occasion, it's just standard Connie strutting. Oh, yeah. It's pretty nice strutting. Yeah. George answers the door wearing an Indian headband of the sort that I was uh, just old enough to have made in first grade and not find out that it was racist yet. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not happening anymore. I hope that as well, but yeah. you never know what people get up to at Thanksgiving. True. <laughs> True. Connie is surprised to see both him and the headband, and George takes it off as she walks in and says that she is there for uh, Miss Martle, who is going to give her some more couture magazines. George says that Martle isn't back yet, uh, and then Shame Baby starts fussing, and George goes to him in the next room. Connie comes in, and George introduces her to Shame Baby. Connie says, you looking after a baby? George says, why not? If Connie can sell frocks to rich ladies without scaring them off. Solid point. Yeah. George says that Martel says that Connie is doing very well in fashion, and Connie smirks and says that she tries. And I like that, too. That must Mm -hmm. be really nice to hear your boss telling somebody else. They look at each other for a bit, and then it gets awkward, and George says that he'll have to get Shane Baby his tea. Connie says that she won't keep him. She'll get the magazines another time. And George says, nice seeing you, Miss Hawkins. And Connie says, and you, Mr. Towler. And calls out goodbye to Shane Baby as she leaves. So uh maybe Corge could be happening here? Maybe. But, you know, we thought about that, you know, Corge with a K. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back when, you know, right. was, I was like, George Towler. Yeah. Um, And that never came. Because, like, the like, Hawkins girls just flirt with everybody. That's their M.O. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But at the same time, George has been, you know, the Swiss Army knife of this show. Right. So, presumably, you know, he needs to be a can opener for Connie or something. I mean, you know. I mean, it may come to nothing. Yeah. Certainly, but. At Homely House, the Homely Architect lies in bed all moody as Gerard walks in. What does he do all day? Yeah. Like, there's no indication at all. Is he just making contingency fake blueprints? (laughs) This one's a fake blueprint for a bridge. This one's a fake blueprint for a castle. (laughs) He asks what she's doing. She asks what it looks like. He says, waiting for Harry. The Homely Architect says that he won't be coming around again. She did what Gerard said and told Harry she needed to take a step back. She now agrees that she shouldn't have slept with him in the first place. Gerard is annoyed and says that she did sleep with him and she can't stop now, which I agree with. Yeah. Like, this is scamming 101. Right. That is not at all what Gerard told her to do. He says, yeah, he told, as he says, he clarifies that he told her to get a grip on herself, not push him away, and they could lose everything because of this. Homely Architect says she didn't say it was over. Gerard asks what Harry said, and the Homely Architect asks, shows him the check. Gerard says, clever girl, (laughs) without a trace of irony, which is impressive. Right. 
Uh, he's really fallen for you, hasn't he? The homely architect shakes her head. Jared says that they're close. And to keep hold of the dream, pulls her up and whirls her as he says, America, you and me, the life we've always wanted. She smiles a bit, but then is all conflicted again. And listen, guys, make with the backstory already. Yeah. Like, this it's has the been time going has on for far too long to not know why the hell these people need to go to America. Right. Or if it's so desperate, like, why have they been living in plain sight around one of the most successful people in Britain who constantly is being photographed and interviewed. Yeah, going back and forth in the popular department store. I I don't know. Perhaps it will all be explained. Selfridges, British flags, just fucking everywhere. (laughs) Inside, Harry stands on a display and welcomes the press to Britain at Play. Mustache adds that they felt they should celebrate the treaty along with the nation, whether it's a day at the races, a picnic, a game of golf or tennis, or even a flight in an aeroplane. Selfridges has the best of everything. Harry adds that they have a hundred hampers ready to give away, and Nuno Gordon and fake Doris look at each other, but Crab sees them doing so, uh, and Mustache invites the reporters up to the fourth floor. Presumably on the fourth floor. Yeah. Harry and Mustache stand with Sergei and Sibby in front of the display that Gary Oldman half-assed. That's just a painting of a plane. <laughs> Mustache announces that they're raffling off a flight with Sibby, all proceeds benefiting the Selfridge estate, handshakes, flashbulbs, etc. In fashion, Martel narrates as some fashion models demonstrate their modern sporting and leisure wear. A photographer gets flash powder on Grove's sleeve. He's cranky. <laughs> Mustache asks for further questions. The, the press mob moves on as Grove goes off in another direction, though not without glaring at Martel again in case she hadn't gotten the memo. Right. Because she's definitely at fault for that photographer. And shame baby. <laughs> and everything that's ever happened to him. That's right. Up to and including his wife's invalidity. <laughs> his first wife. Right. At Martle House, Baby Daddy is collecting Shame Baby's things. George gives him a stuffed bunny that Shame Baby apparently can't do without. Baby Daddy says he'll take Shame Baby on a picnic and a ride on the bus. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spare no expense, Shame Baby. Daddy. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, George says that Shame Baby will love that, which is probably true. He was just a baby. Uh, so he goes to get him. Baby Daddy stops him to thank him for looking after Shane Baby and to tell Martle he hopes to soon have a place of his own and take the baby back. Shane Baby toddles on up. And baby Daddy goes to him and George looks conflicted. In Crab's office, Nunu Gordon sits in front of Crab's desk as Crab hopes he's not speaking out of turn, but he's concerned for fake Doris in particular. He asks if they are involved romantically. No, I was just sucking rattlesnake poison out of her lips. <laughs> Nunu Gordon says their friendship is surely a private matter. And Mr. Crab says private or secret. Crab, boom! Yeah. Nunu Gordon says he respects Victoris and would never compromise her reputation. Mr. Crab says, you are Mr. Selfridge's son. You may choose from many paths in life. Miss Calthorpe has only a few at best. You have a responsibility. Yeah. Nunu Gordon tries unsuccessfully to find another direction to look in. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah. Like. That line was just killer. Well, and the other thing, too, is, like, I don't think you could rely on Harry to uh-huh. give him this kind of, you know, guidance. Yeah. Because yeah. Harry would be like, ah, your first expense account. <laughs> your first floozy. Yeah. I mean, I can't. Even, I don't even know how Harry would react, honestly. Like, no, I, don't I don't either. Even, yeah. I mean, Harry's never, you know, fucked anybody that worked for him except right. for this architect. But that's like a side project, so like that doesn't count. Yeah, oh, that's a good point, though. That's not true, actually. Ellen Love did 
But it's always these women who were sort of like tangential contractors. Yeah, well, he fucked her before she worked for him. And then, and then, yeah, and then the homely architect, they are kind of, I mean, it was her project to start with. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, yeah. he's never had sex with anybody that works at the store. Yeah, yeah. At some pool hall, Fat Thomas walks around after Regan saying that Regan's gambling room is scuppering his club and the rough lot is keeping Fat Thomas's lot away and the club could be closed in a month. Reagan hopes that Fat Thomas isn't going to disappoint him. Fat Thomas says that they could all be making a lot more money. Regan finally turns and faces him, and Fat Thomas suggests that they move the roulette wheel out of the back and make Caliano's a gambling club. And he says that one thing means big money. Baccarat. 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 Like Burt Baccarat, but Baccarat. (laughs) Right. Uh, But only if they keep out the rough crowd and make it exclusive. He says he knows a lot of rich people from running the palm court, and they want... And what they want at the club is high rollers with no limits. Regan says that higher stakes means a bigger bank and asks if Fat Thomas is asking for more money. Fat Thomas says yes, and he's giving Regan the chance to make a lot more. Regan says that Fat Thomas is sticking his neck out. He says he knows how to make money his way. And if Fat Thomas thinks that he can do better, he's going to need to see results fast. Otherwise, his boys will shut him down for good. And I'm like, wait. Shut the club down for good or, like, shut Fat Thomas down, like, in the Thames? <laughs> like, I think it is deliberately left ambiguous. Yeah. Uh, but Fat Thomas says that he will take that as a yes. And they shake hands and a henchman escorts Fat Thomas out. All of this is fine. I don't understand what Regan's, like, motivation is the way that he's running things currently. Well, I think that, I mean, I think the point goes back to haircut saying that Regan couldn't like he couldn't run a high roller fancy place right but what is he trying to do currently what he's trying to do currently is just muscle in a big club that's going and get a piece of the action for his low lives you know yeah but it's like if nobody goes there i don't know well i look i I just what i'm saying is Regan, i'd like to see a business plan right before we go in for your round a of startup funding yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, I think Regan feels like, well, if the club goes down, it'll reopen with somebody else that'll be dedicated to, you know, low lives and extorting them. Yeah. And, you know, that's that's what I do. Uh, but yeah, but I don't know for sure. At any rate, Britain at play! <laughs> Britain at play! Excited people stream in the front door at Selfridges. Violet examines a dress, wishing it looked more like... <laughs> <laughs> Violette examines the dress, wishing it looked more like furniture. <laughs> Sibby comes up to her and says that red is not her color. Green or gray suits her, uh, which is true because that is what she is wearing. <laughs> right. Like, again, I don't even think I like his, like, courtship of her. I'm like, dude, that's very, like, duh. He's just trying to get her talking. Violette says she's not really looking and walks off. Sibby follows her and says she is drifting. Violette says, if you say so. He says she's a little lost. She says, if you say so, are you done with your extremely on-the-nose flirting? (laughs) I need to find a couch hat to go with my cake. (laughs) Sibby says that when she is tired of looking at dresses, he'll buy her a drink. He can tell her about his plane journeys, and perhaps she will feel a little less lost. He bows and says, mademoiselle... And walks off. Rosalie strolls up and says Sibby was asking about her. Violette hopes she told him about her shameful history, but Rosalie (laughs) says it didn't scare him off. Violette says, so you did tell him? (laughs) 
Rosalie says that he knew anyway, and Violette says to stop gossiping about her and stop matchmaking. Rosalie says she just wants Violette to be happy and walks off with the martyred face to end all martyrdom. Yeah. She just, that's, wow. That's her whole thing. You really needed to not pay as much attention to your mom, Rosalie. Yeah. Rosalie, Rosalie has got one tear ready to go at any moment. She never sheds it, but it's always on deck. It's impressive. Yeah. I also like, if you keep pushing your Violet impression, it'll end up as a Dalek, which I kind of <laughs> like. <laughs> if you say so, where's my couch cake? <laughs> I love that, Thomas. <laughs> Nina Gordon and fake Doris stand in the totally discreet location of the middle of a public staircase. A common place for secret young lovers to meet. <laughs> That's right. Uh, anyway, fa- fake Doris asks what Crab said, and Nunu Gordon says, oh, he was just worried about tongues wagging. Yeah, no danger of that if you're kissing Nunu Gordon. <laughs> doesn't even know what a tongue's for in kissing. No, he doesn't. And Nunu Gordon, <laughs> we used a tongue. Wouldn't it mess up my mustache? <laughs> and Nunu Gordon says that he told Crab it was none of his business, and fake Doris is impressed because she doesn't realize that he's lying. Uh, he says that they need a night out at Caliano's or somewhere else. But there is nowhere else. Just the tea shop and that mutton restaurant. <laughs> and Delphine's, whatever happened to that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Didn't it, like, didn't it, like, close or something? I don't remember. I, yeah, I remember I remember things being shipped away from it. I remember a truck out back and things being loaded onto it. I think you might be thinking of the loading dock at Selfridges. No, no. Because Delphine was there and, like, it was getting shut down. Why? I don't know. Big Bill Summertime couldn't come <laughs> through for it. Well, I would imagine not. He couldn't come through for most people. Anyway, do you remember anything about Mr. <laughs> Selfridge? If so, we want to hear that story. <laughs> so Nunu Gordon and Fake Doors go their separate ways and smile at each other. George walks onto the shop floor and Kitty greets him. She says, Connie said she'd seen ya. <laughs> George observes that he hasn't been back to the store in a while. Kitty asks if he misses it. George says, of course, and Kitty says he should think of coming back. They always do this to you in retail, by <laughs> yeah. the way. Anytime you've worked somewhere and you leave and then you come back, they're like, oh, you should come back because the turnover is super high. Right. One of us. One of us. Exactly. Would you like a demo? <laughs> Connie mentioned that he was out of a job and the place hasn't been the same without him. However, George sees Mr. Grove and excuses himself, goes to him and asks for a word about shame, baby. Grove tries to ignore him, but George says he'll have to insist, so Grove says, not here. Out front, Martel is crossing the street. Be careful! <laughs> like, did you not know what just happened in the Doris Classic? Right, we were worried. Uh, but Kitty calls after her and says that she just wanted to thank her for looking after Connie, says that she must have the patience of a saint. Connie is doing so well. Martel says that she's glad that she's doing something right. Aw, Miss Martle. Yeah. You do everything right. I know. Kitty says that she heard that Martle has shame, baby, and Martle says just for the time being. Kitty, who, by the way, I just noticed her scar. It is still there, but oh, very uh, faint. I didn't see it. I'll have to look more closely in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, she asks if George is helping out, and Martle says that George is pretty much doing it single-handed. She says that she tried looking after the baby for a weekend and couldn't wait to get back to work. She says she'd always wondered what sort of mother she would have been, that if you don't have the opportunity, it's easy to daydream. But she says, it turns out I'm rather lacking in maternal instinct. Perhaps work is the only thing I'm any good at. 
Kitty says to look at how much she's helped Connie and all the other girls who've worked for her. You've been the making of us. And as we get all misty, <laughs> Kitty takes Marnold's arm and says that she will walk with her. Man, that's so great. Yeah. Like, Kitty is the MV fucking P of this season. Yeah. Like, even in a season where she's been attacked uh-huh. and nearly raped and all these horrible things that happened. Yeah. And it's like, you know, she's got her, like... She's single-minded and ambitious, Mm -hmm. but she's a kind human being. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah. You know, she's not self-sacrificing at all. No, and I mean, this show does such a better job than Downton Abbey in terms of portraying female friendship, I Mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't see a ton of that in Downton Abbey. I think you see a lot of sort of expedience. I mean, I can't think of any female friendship. Well, there's Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore. Okay, that's that's reasonably close, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Rose and Mrs. Dudley Ward. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, Daisy and Patmore. Uh, and Isabel and uh, the Dowager. That's true. That's, you know, I we don't count them out any, because they're old. Yeah, but. we don't see any young ladies of marriageable age or right. semi-marriageable age. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well done, you eyeliner. Mm-hmm. George and Mr. Grove sit in a jarringly out-of-place diner. Yeah. Like, I was like, is this a scene from Mad Men all of a sudden? Like, I expected the camera to pan over and show Don Draper just, like, staring listlessly at a working-class woman that looks like his mom. (laughs) George says Miss Martle told him the truth about Shame Baby. He says that Shame Baby is smart as a button. Uh, Oh, maybe George is, like, getting back to his roots. Because buttons aren't smart, George. Buttons aren't smart. (laughs) Mr. Grove stares at a family in the opposite corner, which is helpful. Right. As George says that he, George, would not say boo to a goose when I was small. Yeah. All right, here we go. We're like, this is the part in Flowers for Algernon <laughs> when he's like, oh shit, that mouse is getting dumber. Here we go. Right. Although I would say, I wouldn't say boo to a goose when I was small either. Geese will fuck your Geese shit up. Dicks. Yeah. He's totally attacked my brother once at the Cincinnati Zoo. And like a guy that worked there like came over and yelled at my mom for like trying to like get the geese (laughs) off of him that's uh, a story that's lived in anakin family lore low these many years yes the moral is don't say boo to geese yeah don't say anything to geese don't look them in the eye (laughs) don't try to feed them just keep walking yeah george says his father was a drunk and he was terrified of him oh man good old drunky mcjin yeah i wonder what gutter he wound up dying in no i mean you know either way he kept his word to mr selfridge and never came back to bother old agnes towler yeah that's true george says that agnes was all the family that he had and that drunky may have been his father but he was no parent Mr. Grove asks what George wants to ask him. George says that Shane Baby keeps saying these names that he doesn't recognize. Arthur, who Grove says is his older brother. Ella or Melly. Grove says that's Meryl. Really, Grove? Meryl? <laughs> anyway, she's the eldest and used to help bathe him. Little mother, Doris, called her. And look, against my better judgment, I got upset. Not yeah. for Grove, <laughs> but for Doris yeah. and her kids. Yeah. George says that sometimes Shane Baby wakes up in the middle of the night crying and he points as if he wants to go somewhere. So George carries him from room to room and he keeps pointing and looking and saying those names and mum and dada. 
He says that Shane Baby is looking for his family. He's looking for Mr. Grove. Mr. Grove is shaken. Yeah. I'm very upset. Yeah. Uh, very effective use of George Tower. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I had this note later in here, but you know what? I mean, for all our complaint about the Flowers for Algernon situation, if you just ignore the fact that he used to be a much different character and just take him on this series, like... He's been pretty good. Oh, yeah. The actor's doing a fine job. And I mean, honestly, though, this is the best moment because it's in touch with the old George Tower. Yeah. As we knew him. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's interesting, too. I mean, again, having the Swiss Army knife around, but nobody else could have gotten through to Grove. No, that's true. He would have been up in arms against them, you know, just on principle, Uh but because he hasn't seen George in forever and he, you know, and and because he's a man yeah. but not oh definitely because he's a man yeah because he's a man but not one that like he has to deal with every day yeah well for now well yeah they're probably going to promote george to uh, <laughs> store deputy in the next episode <laughs> george towler what would we do without you thank you mr selfridge you all remember when he ran the loading dock for a few years and then quit suddenly <laughs> that's just the sort of dedication i look for <laughs> That's exactly the attitude I take when it comes to my drinking problem. (laughs) In Harry's office, Harry and the homely architect go over paperwork. He says that she's been busy. She says that there's a lot more to do. Harry says that once the estate is finished, they'll start over again, and that there's a whole world out there for them to explore. But the homely architect, who is supposedly a professional con artist... Maybe she's just an intern. I I guess so. No, that's true. Jared's trying to train her up. (laughs) Uh, she breaks into tears and runs out of the office. And Harry's like, uh, huh. Well, this is reassuring. I'm not the only one who cries at work. <laughs> <laughs> On the shop floor, Nunu Gordon is showing Ma and Wizwaz around and directs them to fake Doris. Some woman calls for Nunu Gordon and he heads over and they greet and kiss cheeks as Ma and Wizwaz discuss her as fake Doris listens. Yeah. Her name is Polly Maxwell Taylor and they comment that Nunu Gordon is spoiled for choice uh what with all his competitors being dead in the mud in belgium right and the taylors are apparently a very good family they walk away as nunu gordon and polly and some friend of polly's walk up polly looks at a hat and says her mother would have a fit fake doris says it's one of their more modish hats polly asks what nunu gordon thinks he says topping of course it is it's a hat the zing Uh, (laughs) don't quit your day job nunu gordon (laughs) Polly says that settles it. Tell the girl I'll take it. Mm-hmm. She says she'll wear it to the regatta as Nunu Gordon says Miss Calthorpe and fake Doris says, of course, and goes to box it up. They walk off as Polly comments on the Selfridge tendency to collect aviators. Fake Doris fights back tears as she tries to box the hat. Oh, my God, you guys. Yeah. Kitty comes up and says that she will do it. And she says, take five minutes, wash your face, come back. No one will know any better. Yeah. And this is what we're talking about, yeah. guys. Bitches helping bitches. Yeah. And this is like, and they, Kitty is rivals with fake doors. And yeah. has been, you know, and is, you know. I mean, in the sense that Muhammad Ali may fight <laughs> a baby. Right. I'm just saying she is, it's not that she likes fake doors particularly. She's tried to undermine her several times, but. Well, That's and I business. think what's also interesting is that Kitty has never walked in on them, but she has, mm. and we, you know, we never saw her like come to that realization, right. but she has picked up on all of the social cues yeah. that there's something going on there. She may not know to what extent it is, but she just knows, hey, this lady needs help and I'm super Kitty, so I'm going to help her. <laughs> yeah. No, and also props to fake Doris 
for getting through the interaction professionally and mm-hmm. she said yeah i'll box it up she said it was one of her mo- their more modish hats you know she went through her sales oh yeah absolutely everything like that. she did a she, great job yeah yeah points all around to everyone but nunu gordon <laughs> right who continues to suck as much as his childish incarnation <laughs> so fake doris walks off past harry and crab who are getting off the elevator and they see loxley along with those two chuckleheads who are named barrett and Lowe. not that anybody cares so they're neil gaming characters <laughs> yeah one of them says that they thought they'd check things out as shareholders, and Loxley nods at the display and asks if Selfridges is selling cars now. Harry says that it's just a talking point. Are we not remembering the whole thing where they had the car to sell, and then he drank and drove it? Is this supposed to be a callback? Or? <laughs> That's an interesting question. I, I don't know. Harry says once the imagination is moved, the hand automatically moves to the purse. Loxley suggests that the plane raffle is more expense, but Crab says that the flight was a gift. Harry adds, from my son-in-law's business partner. Loxley says, oh, family and business, never too far apart. Which, I mean, Harry keep just gets owned by Loxley in every interaction they have. I'm like, not Team Loxley exactly, but Harry, he's like a way more competent businessman than you will ever hope to be. Yeah. Like, the only thing we've ever really seen him do wrong is hit his wife. Right. And like you know, kill a bunch of people indirectly. (laughs) Right. Which was pretty bad. (laughs) No, well, he's just, he's generally much more competent. Yeah. He's just evil. Oh, yeah. But he... Yeah, there's no, you can't, you know, you can be evil and competent. Right. You know, if you want to be a successful evil person, it helps. (laughs) Yeah. Take a note, homely architect. (laughs) Yeah, Gerard can tell you all about it. (laughs) Gerard should be in with Loxley on this. Yeah. (laughs) He could convince Loxley to seduce Mr. Selfridge. <laughs> he could probably do it. He probably could. Like, you know, Selfridge, when we were at school. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we could do that now unless, of course, you're scared. I don't run. <laughs> Who you calling chicken? <laughs> so Loxley asks if the plane raffle proceeds go towards the Selfridge estate, then asks, uh, so how does that work from a business perspective and gestures towards the hampers they're giving away as well. Harry says, oh, this is just the first step. They'll see the next one soon enough. Loxley says that, oh, then they can expect profit and dividends to soar. And his, the two idiots with him smile at that because they're so dumb. <laughs> Harry says, well, but they've already started walking away. So Harry goes to the elevator that he just got out of. And Crab asks him what the next step that he's talking about is. Harry says, something we've never done before. It's bold, aggressive. I'll need your advice. So uh, Crab is uh, a bit concerned, as you might expect. Uh, so we watch as Harry walk into his office, but then Grove steps out and calls to Crab and asks him if he still has those magazines. And Crab smiles and says that he'll get them now, and Grove thanks him. In front of the plane painting, Sergei announces it's time for the raffle draw. He gestures to Sibby, but we see him palming a slip of paper in his hand, which he hands to Sergei. And I hate this. Yeah. This is really shitty on a number of levels. Yeah. Because you can't raffle off a plane ride to fucking Violet Selfridge. Mm-hmm. It damages everybody's brand. It does. Yeah. Anyway, Sergey is taken aback, but announces that the winner is Violette Selfridge. Everybody grudgingly applauds, except Rosalie, who's genuinely happy <laughs> and stupid. Right. And Violette, who is stone-faced. Violette reluctantly goes up to the stage and says she can't accept because I like to think she's the only one here with any fucking business sense. Right. Her and Sergey, like, how did that happen? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, she says to please draw again. Sibby says his word is final, but Violette insists. Sibby says very well and puts his hand in the bowl again and then says his flight with her will be a gift and asks her to promise she'll accept. She does. Sibby tells her to draw. She does and hands the paper to Sergey. Uh, end of scene. But I want to know who won that fucking plane ride. Yeah. I wanted to see somebody win it. All these poor disappointed bitches I, standing around. I know. You fail to understand the expectations you raised with that scene. I agree. Eyeliner. In the kissing storeroom, Nunu Gordon attempts to tell Fake Doris that Polly is a nice girl once you get to know her. Fake Doris says, and how would I do that? At a regatta or a charity luncheon? Or would she come round to my room and have pilchards on toast sitting on my bed? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty... Fake un- Doris, serving up some serious working class realness here. Yeah, yeah. Pilchards, by the way, are sardines. I did oh, not know that and I looked it disgusting. up. Well, yeah. I mean, they sounded disgusting. <laughs> yeah. She says that her and Nunu Gordon will never work. And Nunu Gordon stands there looking like a prat as usual and then says that he'll tell his father about them and take her home to meet his family. And fake Doris says, I've already met them. I'm the girl who sells them hats. Boom! Yeah. She says that she's sorry, but it's over. This has to stop and walks out of what is now, sadly, the former kissing storeroom. This is one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Yeah. And this show's always done a great job of having people like very pragmatically end romantic relationships mm-hmm. because of its middle class. Right. You know, milieu. Yeah. It recognizes that love uh, very rarely conquers anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and I mean, you know, these things, particularly at this time mm-hmm. in human history, needs to be considered. Yeah. Because, you know, honestly, can you even imagine the field day that Wizwaz alone would have? <laughs> yeah. If this came out? Yeah. And, you know, it wouldn't ruin Doris's reputation per se, but all their friends come in and shop at that place. So if this gets around, yeah. you know, she'll be this object of pity. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she wants to keep her dignity intact. Yeah. Mustaches be damned. <laughs> right. No, just w- well done, fake doors. Like, wow. Mm-hmm. At Myrtle House, Myrtle answers the door to see Grove, who says he'd like to see George. God, what a dick. <laughs> she invites him into the drawing room and calls for George, who comes downstairs and enters the drawing room. Grove invites him to sit and says he made arrangements for his children to return home and they belong with him. George asks about Shame Baby, and Grove grimaces a bit, but says that he's not to blame for his mother's sins, and he wants to come home. He wants him to come home to his family. George smiles and says that he'll get him ready. Grove thanks him. George walks past Martle on the stairs and smiles at her. Yeah, and you know he's yeah. he's doing a pretty good job. He saved the day. He did save the day. Who would have thought? At Caliano's, Fat Thomas stacks some chairs while he tells Haircut that he can't believe he was about to give up on that club. Haircut says that now he has Regan eating out of his hand. Fat Thomas goes to Haircut, who's just kind of hanging out and shuffling some cards, and thanks her for sticking by him. He asks what they're playing, and Haircut sets the deck down and says, You tell me. And Fat Thomas smiles. Yeah! Let's get some fair cut. (laughs) Or Hat Thomas. I like this is our first total uh made up nickname portmanteau. Uh, you're right, you're yeah. right. At Selfridge House <laughs> Violet is reading a magazine whose title appears to just be women's magazine. <laughs> yes. The magazine for women. <laughs> and this is and you're lucky to get that. <laughs> the magazine for women by men. <laughs> well, that mostly still is everything. Right. 
as Harry walks in and says he thought she'd be out of the theater with Sarah and Rosalie. <laughs> you know I hate them, right, Pa? But Violette doesn't want to be paired up with Sibby. Harry asks if that would be so bad. Violette says she forgot that she's the damaged goods that nobody wants and she'd be grateful that any man wants her. She says she can't even hold down a job, so she might as well get married. Harry asks what she means, and she says that the homely architect sent her a note that she's no longer needed. Harry asks when, and Violette says yesterday, not that it was a real job working for her father's mistress, <laughs> which is the most cogent thing she said in, like, three episodes. Yeah. Harry says she's not his mistress. Violette says, could have fooled me. <laughs> but Harry says that the homely architect means a lot more to him than that. Violette says, sets the magazine down and she says she hopes Harry has told her he used to have quite a reputation and the homely architect must know since everybody else does, which is awesome. Yeah. Harry says he knows she's been hurt by Fat Thomas, but she'll get over him. Violette says she won't because she's not giving up on him. When you love someone, you don't just walk away. She heads off. Teenagers, am I right? <laughs> yeah. Also, that whole, you know, you when you love someone, you don't just walk away. I was going to say, you know, your mom didn't do that, but she did kind of walk away sometimes, but like yeah. not for real. Yeah. But also, does this mean that we're having some sort of long drawn out? Because I like that to be done. I would like that as well. That was another pragmatic end of a relationship. Right. Granted, well, Violette did not bear it with the good grace that Nunu Gordon did. Yeah. And I think, I think, I don't think that Fat Thomas, I think Fat Thomas is done and will stay done. I hope so. And Violette if not, may make another, needs to set her on fire. Yeah. Violette may make another ill-advised attempt, mm-hmm. but I don't think it'll get anywhere. Yeah. That's my feeling. Grove arrives at Grove House pushing a pram, which he hands off to the mature educated woman he apparently has hired. And all those other kids run up to him and he and Arthur play with the car that Crap bought. At Homely House, Harry walks in saying he needs to talk to the Homely Architect. Uh, lucky for you, Gerard wasn't there. Yeah. She says that she's said everything there is to say, but Harry says that he hasn't. He says it hasn't been some casual affair for him. Uh-huh. <laughs> the Homely Architect says he barely knows her. Harry admits that it's been a whirlwind romance, but he knows her. He knows she's not always as strong as she pretends to be, and when she's unhappy, she hides it. And if he knew her better, he'd know why. He says he needs to show her how much she means to him and gets on one knee and pulls out a ring. He asks if she'll marry him. The homely architect says yes and kisses him. He puts the ring on her finger. They kiss again. Credits. Yeah. Uh, so that is a thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, I am surprised. As am I. There was a whole lot of eye rolling going on. I concur. So, yeah. So that's that's the end of that episode. Just, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, Gerard was like, you know, keep sleeping with him. I don't think he meant get engaged to him. She is real bad at taking direction. Yeah. She's just all over the map on this thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I just... I mean, obviously, the story is that she's falling for Harry. Like... Look, I can't really make a judgment until I know what her backstory is. Yeah. Because I don't know if... I'm supposed to be empathetic with her. Well, right. I assume that we are. I mean, they shoot her like she's supposed to be empathetic. Well, right. Exactly. But she's also a con artist. And it's like, like if Gerard is the villain here, then that needs to come across. Yeah. Like if he's, you know, yeah, coercing so far, her. Yeah, he's just all business. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I mean, they got two episodes left. Yeah. We'll see how this uh, this works out. Yeah. Yeah. 
which brings us now to the Selfridge Awards, a.k.a. the Selfies. That's right. First up, we have Nailing It. And that goes to Fake Doris. Yeah, and I will say, I would have to mention Mr. Crab as a very close yeah, runner-up here. We debated it. We debated it hotly, but ultimately decided to give it to Fake Doris, because up until now, she's kind of just been around. Right. And she made a really bold decision. Yeah. And, you know, brokered no argument. Yeah, like, uh, just made the decision, didn't dither about it, was just like, nope, this, you know, shut it down. So, yeah. Next up, we have the stick poke. Uh, that would be the homely architect's immediate acceptance of Mr. Selvridge's proposal. Because we expect that kind of ridiculous behavior from him. Right. But, like, she needed a British about it, at least. Yeah, she needed to be like, I couldn't possibly, or some such, or, you know, I can't answer right away, or something. Yeah, but or she like, was just you like, know, I was promised at birth to, like, <laughs> you know, a chic. <laughs> just anything. Right. Uh, I can only ever truly be happy in America, apparently. I, no, I don't, like, but no, she was just like, boom, yes, love it. Well, and clearly, I mean, the, the thing here, too, is that she is in love with Mr. Selfridge now, not Gerard. Right. And, again, that's fine, but we don't know anything about your relationship with him. Exactly. So I'd say that's a big whiff on eyeliner's part. Yeah. In terms of not, you know, giving us any kind of anything to hang our hats on. Right. As far as, as she's concerned. Yeah, Modish or otherwise. Next up, we have Window Worthy. And went ahead and get, gave that to the airplane display, which I, I know I said was half-assed, and it was, but it looked pretty nice for being half-assed, because the only other display was the thing that was just basically a car with a bunch of crap piled on it, and that didn't really do anything for me. So uh, the, the plane was a nice, sharp kind of deco uh, painting of a plane, so I went with that. Good job, Gary Oldman. And finally, we've got the eyeliner scale of the eyeliner scale of eyeliner. I'm going to go with pencil, I agree. mainly because we've gotten so deep into the Homely Architects deal without any backstory. Like, right. if we had, I might have hedged more toward liquid on this. Yeah. Well, that and, and the, the Violette's determination to continue trying to date Fat Thomas. Right. Well, that was just one line, so I don't know anything about that yet. I mean, because I would say apart from, yeah, I mean, apart from those things, everything else about this episode was good and some of it was very good. But the Homely Architect plot is more or less the main plot of the whole season. That's true. And we're, you know, it's not, it's, it's not like really working balloon, for man. us. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think without that plot, it becomes almost a true ensemble drama. You know, yeah. like there's no main characters. Yeah. Because Mr. Selfridge is not nearly as important as he once was. Right, that's true. But there is this whole through line here. And it's like, what are you driving at? Yeah. I mean, I think we're still driving toward bankruptcy. You know, Moxley yeah. engineered bankruptcy. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it makes sense. Who but. knows? Yeah, only two episodes left. Two episodes left, y'all. Mm. So uh, tighten your belts. Yeah. <laughs> 